0: Welcome to the podcast about two good friends sharing stories to surprise and delight each other. I'm Courtney Farrell. And I'm Mason New.
1: And this is I Got One For You.
0: Okay, everybody. It's I Got One For You, another episode. I'm Mason New, and I'm with my friend, Courtney Farrell. Hi. Uh, we're glad you all are here again with us. I've been looking forward to this all week, and you know our podcast is really just an excuse to have a conversation about interesting topics, and that's what we do. And um, we're lucky enough that all of you out there really want to listen to us talk about it. <laughs> um, so we've we've come up with a list of topics and different things that we're really interested in talking about, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks recording these, talking about different things, but. We thought for today, uh, this is Courtney's number one topic, so I'm going to let her introduce it.
1: Sure. I, the, the topic really is what's important. And I had, you know, the first time I was ever introduced to the idea was when I was watching City Slickers, the movie that anyone who's over the age of, you know, 35 has probably seen, and anyone who's <laughs> under the age of it has no idea what I'm talking about. But um, it was a Billy Crystal movie. And remember, the the, the old Tommy cow hand said, it's just one thing. Yeah. It's just one thing. And I, I left that movie like, what is it? What's the one thing that's important? And then uh, a handful of years ago, sometime in this decade, um, a a wonderful teacher at University of Virginia, whose name was Ernest Mead. Everyone called him Boots. And he was Boots, Boots Meade. Boots Mead. He was the head of the music department. And he's I, I admire him so much because he was one of these teachers who just stayed young. Uh because he was always surrounded by his students, and he actually made meaningful connections with them. Right. So just to give you a a sort of background of Boots, this is a man who played the piano his whole life, and at 88 decided to learn a new style of playing the piano. Wow. So just, it blows my mind. At 88, he threw out everything he knew and learned this whole new way, and if I were musically inclined, I'd be able to tell you which new style that was, but... I'm not, and I just sort of hung on that piece. At any rate, he lived well into his late 90s, and he had a class at Virginia uh, in addition to all of his music classes, but his class was a senior elective, and the topic was, what's important? Wow. And I never took it. I didn't mm-hmm. actually know about it. I didn't. Was meet...
0: it a music class? No, oh, it was it
1: just... a, a senior elective for anyone uh-huh. in the College of Arts and Science with, who went to UVA. And... The whole class was just so that these young people could figure out and spend time thinking mm. about
0: what's important. What an important class at that point in your life.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. and incred- just, just to have somebody create the time and space right, right. for you to think about it. So I didn't take his class. I didn't really know about his class until after he died. I learned about the class at his funeral. And I had a very wonderful relationship with him, but it was outside of – anything academic at UVA. I mm. met him through a, a good friend of mine, and we would go over and have dinners with them, and we just had a great relationship. And my relationship with him was one of hundreds that he had with other students. Right. But um, at his funeral, all of these now older people got up and talked about the importance of this class, of what's important. And so, wow. being me, I decided I was gonna take his class. Even though, he, even though he was dead. Even though he was dead, <laughs> so I, um, I took a pair of brown boots because his nickname was Boots. Right, and, of course. You know, it felt really obvious, <laughs> and I went to his to his house, which is there in Charlottesville, which was then you know empty now, mm-hmm. uh, but not sold. Did they, he have family? He did. He had yeah. some children and yeah. um, really good, nice people. At any rate, I decided I was going to take his class, so I sat on his front stoop for about two hours, and I I just. Convened with him and said, I'm taking your class. Mm. And I took a piece of paper and put it on his front door and wrote what's important on it. And it stayed there for a year. No one took it down. And there's a big tree in his front yard. And I sat in the front, the, the tree, I'd make myself go once, anytime I was in town or once a week, and go sit in the tree, think about what's important. And, um, one thing that's important is actually not um, trespassing on people's property but <laughs> or being so weird that people pick you up and take you to a cycle. <laughs> Luckily, no one did that to me, but I did. I spent a year thinking about this topic. right? And um, it's a maddening topic in a lot of ways because sure. any, any one day, you're going to think of 50 different things sure. that are important. But um, the only other thing that brings me to it and why I wanted to talk about it today was when I was living in Dallas at a really great friend erica yegli we decided to throw these salon dinner parties we were sort of thinking back to the parisian age where all the great artists and writers Mm -hmm. would gather in the bars and talk and share their ideas and then go back and create these masterpieces and so we each invited four couples and we had this party in in addition to inviting the four couples we asked everyone to come with an answer to the question what's important Mm. And I didn't know everyone, there eight people at the dinner table, I didn't know, right? Uh-huh. And there are eight that I do know. And it was mind-blowing, the things that people talked about. And before I share what they are, because I'd love to share some of what those, those were, but I would love to hear your thoughts about it. I know you and I decided this only a couple of days ago, but I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And I don't remember my first answer at that dinner party night. I cannot mm. access what was so darn important that night. But, um,
0: well, I'm sure we'll get into all kinds of different layers of that and it may come back to you or I sent, I certainly have a question for you about convening or enrolling in the class after the professor had died, but I'll, I'll save that in a little bit. But, so I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, there's some easy answers to this question. What's important, you know? family, friends, you know, relationships or, you know, whatever it is. that I think that there's probably a lot of answers that would fall into similar categories. So I was trying to think about it in a different way and thinking, all right, <clears throat> with the givens out there, you know, health, family, friends, you know, happiness whatever it is you know I was trying to think about it well how could you look at this question of what's important with without those stated so um
1: and
0: then I and then I was trying to think about it from a comical way and then I was trying to think about it from a serious way and I I didn't really I wasn't very successful in either one of those but um, one of the places that I went to pretty quickly is, um, I think what's really important is to have a world view. a And in my opinion, that worldview has to be oriented towards faith. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be religious or anything like that, but I think that A worldview is a lens on which you apply to all of the different experiences that you're having. And over time, those experiences will change your worldview. But if you you don't have one, then you really are at the whim of the randomness of life. And that's pretty terrifying. So to me, what's most important is to believe... That there, that there is a, a, a lens by which you can understand the world, and that's your worldview.
1: That's fascinating. And I have a million things because when you just said you know, you're at the whim of the randomness of life, there was a part of me that was thinking, I love the randomness of life, <laughs> um, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And then the other thing you just said is that the belief in a worldview, so is a worldview important or is a belief important?
0: Um, a worldview is a belief. It's a, it's, you know, so I've actually been, this is one of my professional projects. I've been working with an organization for three years on this and working on this has actually informed me in this topic, but a, a, a worldview is a belief system. And, you know, so you can say, okay, well, I have a Christian worldview. All right, fine. Or I have a Catholic worldview or I have a Protestant worldview, or I have a Jewish worldview, or I have a Muslim worldview. I mean, they, religions are those. Um, I'm not well-versed enough to understand what an atheistic worldview is. I don't I don't believe in that, so it's hard for me to understand how you can look at the world and say there's nothing connected. It's all completely random. Um, so a, a worldview is a belief system. And in my opinion, what's important is that a worldview be attached to faith, some kind of faith, a spiritual existence. It doesn't mean you have to be a Christian or it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, a a specific religion necessarily. But societies all around the world throughout history have developed their own worldviews and every single one of them has some spiritual component to it. With the one exception, which is some kind of atheistic... Marxist, a religious kind of thing and those societies are not they they don't there's no there's no sense that those are um societies that even can exist
1: it's it's fascinating that you say this i actually think you may have discovered what actually is important as <laughs> all the lists i want to change mine now because i was i just was i've been attempting in the last i don't know five days, ten days to to post some things on Instagram and the idea was to post things that were like gonna raise the joy quotient. Whether mm-hmm. that happens or not, I don't know, but it's just as a, a sort of an experiment. And the one that I posted on Friday was sort of about this, this notion of Friday the thirteenth being like just think about the way we think about the number thirteen mm-hmm. and this day Friday the thirteenth, because collectively as a society, we have decided that it's a day of bad luck. Mm-hmm. and so as a result something like 800 million dollars a year in the western world is lost because people don't get married on friday the 13th they don't have festivals on friday the 13th they don't really? nothing happens uh-huh. on that day of any sort of s- significance because
0: people are so superstitious because people are superstitious
1: at- and mm. if you go to 80% of high rise uh, buildings they don't have a right. floor number thirteen. Like th- right. Think about how ridiculous that actually is. <laughs> but I kind of love it because it means if we believe that Friday the thirteenth is unlucky, then it is unlucky. Right. And then switch it around. If we believe something is good or lucky, bing bam boom, it's good right. and lucky. Right. Like just the power of belief right. is sort of overwhelming. You know, when you when you really think about it. I, I love I love your answer. I love your answer. So what, how would you describe your worldview?
0: Um, well, it changes over time, and it changes at different points. Um, you know, I, I mean, I do believe that there is such thing as God, and I do believe that there is such thing as Jesus, and I do believe that belief in those things helps me understand the world a little bit better and I fall down on you know whether or not I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or understand you know like all those things that we struggle with and I'm not saying that I'm right or that this is the only worldview or religious sense that matters or anything like that I don't that doesn't matter because for me it's that I don't want to live in a world where I don't have a sense that there is a spirit and that that spirit is actually benevolent and good. Despite all of the horrible things that happen, and they, they happen around the world and they're bad people and they do bad things and it's almost cruel to try to say, well, that's some there's some meaning and purpose in these cruel, horrible things that happen. I'm not interested in trying to justify anybody. I'm just trying to understand myself in the world. And if I believe that there is a God, it's easier for me to understand the way the world works. It's easier to think that the world is good that way.
1: So this is one of the reasons why I, I love this podcast. And I think it's one of the reasons why our listeners love this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's because these are topics that we don't talk about on a day to day basis. You don't just go on the street and say, like, Oh, Mason at the, you know, while we're getting fruit at the Libby market and say, like, Oh, tell me about your worldview. Right. Right, we don't. And I remember as a as a young person, I was actually about nineteen years old and I'd had my first boyfriend and he got killed in a car wreck. It was very upsetting Ooh. to me as you can imagine. It was the first time I'd ever said I love you. Mm. You know, and then and then a month later, this event happens that right. was, as you can imagine, shocking. And um, I'll never forget. I, I had a journal, and I was writing a lot, and it trying to just make sense of everything. Mm-hmm. And also just trying to heal and like walk through the fire of grief. And I went to see my grandmother, um, who lived out in the country, Montpelier. She's mm-hmm. up at Oakland. And I was saying to her, I remember saying, like, Yeah, but how do you know God is real? And she said... I will never forget it. And it was such an impactful conversation. She said, you're going to UVA now and you're very clever and smart and taking classes and asking all sorts of questions, but there's nothing that you could say to me. There's no, there's no empirical data you could bring to me. There's no, any of that, that would change my belief that God exists. I've had too many experiences in mm-hmm. my own life mm-hmm. where I have been lifted up and supported and 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 held by Him. Right. And it was such to hear someone that I respected saying right. this so convictedly that mm-hmm. I realized this kind of topic, this topic of belief, right. is not something that you can intellectualize. It is right. something that's, it's it, it's uh, otherworldly. is not the right term, although it might fit. It's just like it's it's some other dimension. And I like that dimension. Right. Like, I like that place of thinking, uh, which is awesome. I love your answer. Thank you. I love your answer. I I um I also made a little list of, like, the things you go to. Like, everyone's saying, like, sleep's so important. This mm-hmm. is the most important thing. <laughs> like, well, my mom said it was hard work that was important. <laughs> my dad said it was, yeah, you know, right. like, telling the truth. And, <laughs> you know, my crazy uncle said it was a sense of humor. Like, right. there's so many things. Right, right. But um, I'd like to change mine to believe. <laughs> But this morning, I was thinking, since I can't change mine, and I I think you win, but um, I was thinking about the things that sort of mattered to me, or the moments maybe that mattered, and I flashed to this one moment. um, We, so you and I, for those people listening, Mason and his wife and Wordy and I lived at at Episcopal High School for a substantial period of our young married lives, Mm -hmm. and leaving leaving Episcopal was very difficult for me because I loved it there. It was a really wonderful... Special place. Special place. So we were, you know, you and Wordy worked there. Melissa and I were, you know, dorm parents and just community members there. Right. Um, But leaving was hard, so Wordy got a job in in Dallas, Texas. We packed up all of our stuff on one big truck. I had fantasies of the truck catching on fire so I wouldn't have to (laughs) unpack it. (laughs) We moved to Dallas, and it was a ended up being a wonderful experience but the first part of wonderful experiences are not always wonderful right sure and i remember coming home for the first time i got a job at like a freelance gig at um discovery channel and i had two teammates that were working on it with me and it was this guy barry and christian and uh, they met me at the airport in dca which of course is right next to episcopal and i'm here i get off the plane I am breathing Virginia air again after three months of living in Dallas, Texas, where I didn't know anyone and feeling very homesick. And I Mm. get in a car with them. We drive up to Maryland. We do the job. And we have to drive back to Richmond. And the entire way back, these two grown men and I sang show tunes (laughs) without the radio on. But they both opened up enough to admit that they knew the words to these show tunes. Oh, my gosh. And we opened the windows of the car on 95, uh-huh. and we were all singing at the top of our lungs. And it was the most healing, amazing. Wow. It was like being frostbitten and getting to get, maybe not frostbitten, like getting in a warm bath. It was right. like the most, it was the one, oh, it was so wonderful. And it was such a quick, brief moment, but I felt restored. hmm And so I just... Like plop that into my mind, and then I remember going to just to church, and as much as I hated going every Sunday and sitting there, and I went we went to the kind of church where you sat there and endured it, you know, right. But I loved the singing part, like Mm -hmm. the the good songs, the songs that we'd grown up hearing, right, and how it just gave you a feeling of comfort. I hated it when they sang the new songs. I hated it when they changed the <laughs> hymnal so that they took the note out of the, the thing. It drove me crazy. But I loved it when we could hear the songs yeah. that I'd like, been brought up with. Right. And then it just popped into my head a couple things. One is, if you watch the movie Rudy without this, the noise in the background, like the, the music, that being mm-hmm. the noise, it's really dumb. I mean it's not a great, really no it's the it's the music
0: oh right moves you yeah, into sure.
1: it connects you, you emotionally right to what's actually going on right and I can remember t- raising children when they were small and getting frustrated with them and my sister and I figured out if we sang about our frustrations it made it better mm-hmm so we had these young children who wouldn't listen to us and we'd just start saying why won't you pick up your clothes or wipe your runny nose You know, and you just you could sing for hours like that. It made it fun. It made you not mean. It got the frustration out, and like somehow you connected. And I'm gonna stay with me because I'm gonna draw this point. When I go to get blood drawn or a shot, when they when the person's about to put the needle in, I say, "Just tell me when you're gonna put the needle in," and I start singing. And when I sing, I can't feel the pain. Really, it, it distracts my brain. Right? Wow. It's crazy. And then the other one is. If you're ever afraid, remember in The King and I? Mm-hmm. Whenever I feel mm-hmm. afraid, I hold my head erect. If you just sing, it takes you from your from your normal state of mind to a different one. So this is my premise. What's important? I have one more story. Is there time for me to tell one more story? Sure. Okay. So you have heard this story only because you listen to uh, – pod so one podcast that we did with our friends paul and and daniel and i told them the story but i want to tell it to you so my very first christmas so you know that i was born and i had a very twisted tummy my tummy wasn't right they returned Mm -hmm. me to the hospital on day three and i didn't leave for six months i went from seven pounds to two pounds and dr armstead tallman was the one who did the initial operations on me Mm -hmm. to untwist my tummy and they, I think, I had two major operations in ten days, and then I was in the ICU. So on Christmas morning, my grandmother used to tell me the story. And this is in the 1970s. early
0: seventies. Early seventies. Yeah. So we're talking surgery is a inexact science in comparison. In comparison That's to right. today, people who have the yeah.
1: operation I had today have nice, pretty little scars. Yeah. I look like I've been mauled by a shark <laughs> right. on my tummy. I like it; it's fine, but it's <laughs> right. you know, it's definitely a piece of art. Dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dun,
0: dun. It's one of my nicknames.
1: So my grandmother told me the story about how on Christmas morning she wanted to come see me. They lived out in the country. She told my grandfather she was coming in. He said she couldn't go because the roads were icy. So she said. Fine, I'll go feed the animals at the barn. And she got into the car and drove to Richmond and came to see me. Mm-hmm. And she came down to MCV and she came to the ICU and she was standing at the door. And Dr. Tallman on Christmas morning was there. This is my surgeon now. Right. He's not responsible for my daily care. Right,
0: right, right. His right. job is finished. Right.
1: He is down with his hand in my incubator, he has his hand on my little. Little leg. She used to hold up her pinky and show me how big my leg was. Oh my gosh! And he said she had her his ha- his huge hand on my little leg, and he was singing Silent Night oh to me. Oh my god!
0: Amazing. It's
1: amazing. So I hear the story first of all. This story I've carried with me my whole life because in this story I know that I'm completely loved. Here's a grandmother who defies, you know, orders from her husband. Her ni- 1973 orders from her <laughs> right. husband to come see me. This is my doctor who's left his family on Christmas morning right. to come down singing me a song. He wasn't looking at my chart or telling a nurse what to do. Right. He was singing to me. And years later, I met him. I mean, I'm, I know, I've known him because we live in the same community. But years later, I went up to him. This is only a couple years ago. I told him, you know, Dr. Tallman, I just wanted to thank you. I want to make sure you understand how thankful I am for this life that I'm living. I just have loved it. I've loved every piece of it. love the good times and the hard times and the you know silly times all of it thank you and he looked at me and he said i have no idea why you're still alive and it that stuck with me and then wow I'll bring this back for one second so i read an article about water molecules that if you play classical music around them they turn into snowflakes crystals you can look this up on the internet. It's wow. fascinating to look. If you play classical music around them, they they point they go from a little water blob round to a Why? I I don't know. <laughs> but they do, which is can we just can we just all yeah. agree that that's sure. magical?
0: Oh, it, of course. That is course. that is a
1: that's a piece of hidden magic in our world. Right. Babies are 72% water. Right. So he sang Right. to me. And he turned seventy-two percent of me into snowflakes, and that's why I lived.
0: That is amazing. So
1: singing is what's important. It,
0: I agree. I I want to change my answer now. <laughs> Who cares about all this silly worldview stuff? It's <laughs> done. <laughs> Music.
1: Now, it's just a belief. I just you know isn't that neat that here this man believed that his job wasn't just to be a surgeon, his job was to actually care for people.
0: That's a, that is. Is that, that mind is... blowing? That is a like a true miracle story. I mean, it really.
1: It really is. It
0: really is. It is.
1: That's what's important, Mason.
0: I agree. (laughs) These are these two things that are important. I know they're important because I don't have them. Ah. And when I don't have them, I know that I really need them. And it's hard to get. So the first one is routine. I think what is important is routine. And then another one I think is important is to be on a team.
1: I love these two. I love these two. I also lack routine, but I'd love to have it. I don't see it happening, though. It just feels like here, you know, Ernest Mead changes the way he plays piano in '88. I don't, I don't see such a life change in my future.
0: Oh, I know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I have a routine where I have routines, or I have my work that I do, or w- whatever it is. But
1: I have a routine of procrastination.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. No, it's great. It's yeah.
1: every single day I practice it, <laughs> especially when it pertains to anything administrative.
0: Do you, you know what? You're, since you're a word person, do you know where the word procrastination comes from?
1: I don't, but I want to. Tomorrow. The, the
0: root. <laughs> well, yeah. You you got it. Oh. The root of it, C-R-A-S, cross, is the Latin word for tomorrow.
1: Really? Yeah. So pro tomorrow. So pro tomorrow. Which yeah. actually sounds for like- For tomorrow. Yes. It sounds like something that's hopeful like yeah, I'm for living tomorrow? for tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> because tomorrow will be here, I shall do these chores tomorrow.
0: What was the line from Popeye? Wimpy would say, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday
1: for a hamburger, hamburger today. today. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, but I think a uh, routine, I mean, you know, you and I are independent business people or we have our own we're working on all different kinds of projects and you know, so therefore you have to manufacture the routine. When I was teaching, all of that was done for me. The routine, the schedule, everything, I never had to think about it. It was just this, and then this happens, and then these milestones, and and everything. And at the time, I thought, well, okay, this is valuable because then somebody's laid out my organized, my day for me, or my week, or my year, or my semester, or whatever. But the flip side of that is then you don't have any autonomy and control. So so then I thought, all right, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I want to do these really innovative, neat, cool projects. But the, the flip side of that is you don't have a routine. You've got to manufacture it. And, and I'm just not naturally accustomed to say, okay, I'm going to plan out my day and I got to accomplish this, this, and this. I know plenty of other people who are like that. I wish I were more like that, but I'm not.
1: So So that's why I know
0: routine is important.
1: So I I also am aware of the fact that if you do a little bit of something every day, it, it moves you forward from a routine standpoint. Right. I am just, I've always written it down to being fiercely American. It's like one of the American values that I've held really strong. So if I were to say, for instance, a German might like following the rules. If I were just gonna c- categorize people, I'd say if you go to mm-hmm. Germany, if there's a crosswalk, you cross the crosswalk or else you're gonna hear about it from right. your fellow crosswalkers. But I feel like rules are suggestions. Like, hey, here's the best thing we've come t- to come up with so far. See if you can make it better, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just generally how I approach the world. And so that means if I have a routine, it's a, it's a light suggestion of what might need to happen right. today I've got to make I have to have forcing functions you know that's where What's you that? well it's where you you put things in place that force you oh, right. to have to do something sure 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 so a team's great if a team is waiting for you to go for a run right. for instance right I will show up to go for the run not because I'm trying to stay in a running routine but because they're people Right, waiting for me. Right, we have a we have a standing meeting at three o'clock on Sundays. Right, I will be here at three o'clock on Sundays. Not right. because it's a routine, but because I told you I would. Right, but any kind of forcing function. Sometimes I, I do things that um, will just uh, unpleasant things so that I have to remedy them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
0: So the un the unpleasant. Thing would be something to force you to do something that you. It's
1: the wolf at the door, right? You know, like you know, you'll. I won't pack for a trip, and then I'll have a forcing function. Like the day before we're supposed to go on the trip, I'll throw, uh, I have people over for dinner, right? Because (laughs) because what happens is they'll come over and then they'll stay, and then finally at midnight I'll think I have got to pack my bag. Oh my god! Right, and that will force me to have to actually do it. It's terrible. I don't. I don't do that. (laughs) I'm terrible. I would love a routine. I actually I was jealous of you all when you had the 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 school routine because you also had seasons. Yeah. You know, there was this sort of like it was the season before from, from when school started to Christmas. Right. So you really got to get excited about Christmas.
0: Right. It, it it the school year is that there's some really natural things about the school year. Maybe we're just I mean, you know, if you grow up and you go as a as a student And you have this nine-month calendar and, you know, there are different points along the year that you hit. And then you go and you become a teacher. Then you're living that same schedule. And and there's something to me that's pretty natural about it. It's, you know, you just – it coincides with the seasons. The holidays have different um, points. You have beginning and end. You have a beginning and an end. Um, you get to hit the reset button and get some time off. Like it seems very healthy, but then at the same time, no one else lives like that. The regular world is operating on a completely different schedule. And so, um, when I started working, especially running my own business, I I was really way out of, out of line because I, because I was so accustomed to this other routine that was the school year.
1: Well, you know, my my father tells me that the back in the 50s when he was coming along and, and before then, the, the routine went along with the seasons. Right. I mean, it was a very agrarian right. society, right? So when the fall came, it was time to, you know, as my father would say, it was hog killing time. I mean, you know, it was right. just what these different things would come up in these festivals, these celebrations, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. These things ended up being really pivotal moments as far as, a routine goes right. There were these just these things you walked through and did, um, and it, it carried through all mm-hmm. pieces of life. A baby was born. There was a routine of what you did. Right. Someone died. There was a routine of what the community and everyone did together. So I actually think routines interesting and in how it's changing because we now live in a society where you don't even need to drive to work. You just you're at your house, mm-hmm. right? If you think about routine, you wake right. up and you are working in your home and you're. Raising your children in your home, and you're loving your spouse right. in your home, and you're trying to take care of yourself in your home.
0: It's it's a really big question. You're trying to take care of the home, and you're also working in the home too. Like it's, it, it, we're we're starting to blend a lot of things.
1: But the boundaries are down. Yeah. Right. You know, your Boundaries lucky. are down. You're right. lucky if you got a door. I've never <laughs> really. If you think about the things you should be thankful for this Thanksgiving, here's one: doors. Doors. <laughs> you know, like to, to th- if you, look it's an interesting question to ask people: how many doors do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, if someone says none, they're they're living a that's a harder life. You know, it's you know, all in there. There's
0: a there's a, a war hero here in town. You probably know him, Paul Galani, who spent seven or eight years in the prison camp and. Um, North Vietnam, and he has a a philosophy or a worldview. And he says, it's never a bad day when the door handle is on the inside of the door.
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Hilton Hanoi.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: So, like, there's an example, you know, of what you're talking about. You know, like, when you're deprived of your freedom or, you know, you've got some separation or whatever, That's that just— changes everything
1: so tell me what you're very close with him what what yeah. would his world view? I mean that worldview what what would he say is important I mean he had a routine if I remember the story it's it's vague so you have to tell me the story about it again but there was a routine there that sort of saved them when well, you're talking about routine being the most important thing
0: well there's a there's a fascinating book by a guy named Jim Stockdale who was the senior man in the Hanoi Hilton and uh, the book is called Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot. And he... Um, to be brief, uh, he he goes... This is a great story. He goes to... Uh, he's 38 years old. He gets the opportunity to study for a master's degree. This is before he goes to Vietnam. Stockdale, not Galani. Got it. Um, and he, he goes to get a master's at Stanford in, I don't know, some engineering or organizational something, management. I don't, I don't know what it was. And he keeps asking these questions of his professors. Why are you doing that? Why, why do we do it that way? Why do you do it that way? And the professor kept saying to him, you keep asking me why. You need to go over to the philosophy department. That's not what we do here. <laughs> so Stockdale goes over to the philosophy department, and he runs into this guy. I forget his first name, but his last name, I think, is Rhinelander. And this professor was a World War Two veteran, had been in the Navy, had seen all these horrible things, and then had come back and he had studied philosophy. So Stockdale and Rhinelander, if I've got that name right, they form this friendship, and he says, all right, look, I'm going to get you up to speed on everything, and then you can study for the masters in philosophy. So so uh, Stockdale starts to read the great Stoic philosophy, uh, you know, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, and then he falls on this one philosopher named Epictetus. And Epictetus was a Greek slave that ended up being— one of the chief uh, philosophical advisors to one of the Roman emperors. I don't remember which one. So anyway, Stockdale studies this. He gets his assignment to um, be a squadron leader, heading to North Vietnam on an aircraft carrier, flies some missions, and then on one of his missions he's flying and he gets... Shot, shot down. And he ejects. And as he as he is coming down, he's floating down and he's floating down into enemy territory, he says to himself, I'm leaving the world of technology and I'm entering the world of Epictetus. Mm. And he they they he lands, they capture him, they take him to the Hanoi Hilton, among other I think he was in a couple prison camps. He spent 4 years of his 8 years in captivity and solitary confinement.
1: Oh my god.
0: And he says this one part, he said that he had to manufacture routine behind bars, deprived of everything. And he goes and he he says in this in this book, he's like there are some days I was looking out there and I thought gosh, I've been so busy today I haven't had any time for myself.
1: Oh really? Yeah,
0: cuz he had manufactured this routine. Now he had responsibilities behind bars. He was the senior man, which means he was the highest ranking he had he, he, and he was trying to um fight the war behind the behind bars so to speak and then supporting the men that were being I and mean, they were being tortured and beaten and all these awful things were happening. They were being manipulated, they were being used and he had to support them and do all this kind of stuff and he did it through stoic philosophy. He basically recreates western society behind the prison walls.
1: That is fa- so the book's the book's name is The
0: book is Thoughts, Thoughts of, of a, a Philosophical Philosoph- Fighter Pilot and it's and it's it's really an a series of essays and speeches about how the prison experience enabled him to see the value of the philosophy. He applies philosophy in the extreme. And, and Stoic philosophy is really about understanding, at its most simplest idea, it is that there are things under your control, which is called will, and there are things that are out of your control— and where we get most confused and most miserable is when we think that we can control the things that are out of our control. Wow. And there are very, very few things that you can control. So
1: is that a worldview? Yeah, a stoic, stoic philosophy, philosophy is a worldview. view. A world view. Now, yes. I have to ask you one question because I like things that come around full circle and tie up neat like a bow. Yeah. Why do I have this why do I have in my head this idea of four part harmony? Was that Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Was that something that um, they came up with in the Hanoi Hilton that they would communicate with each other each day?
0: Okay, so the way, so what, I I didn't know if that's what that was called. The way they communicated was a tap code. Um, It would be you imagined uh, the alphabet as a five by five grid and uh, C and K, I think K was a C. So, that, so, so in, es, in essence, you had a 25-letter alphabet. And so, they would tap. So, if you wanted E, that would be the first row in the fifth column. So, it would be, you know, you'd tap one, you know, one, and then one, two, three, four, five. And that would be E.
1: So, if you were... If you were not prone to spelling well, would you would you have done poorly in the prison I system? I,
0: I think they probably could have figured it out. And what they did was they communicated with each other all the time. They talked back and See, forth. I thought
1: one of the things that I had heard that they had done, and this could be wrong and made up, but I don't think so, is that they they each had expertise in something. Like so, like for instance, you might have loved poetry, and I might have been really you know, a yes. big reader. So they would share the knowledge yeah, right. that each of them had come with right. to teach each other so that there would be, and that's what I believe was called, and I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing greatly right now, but this idea of four-part harmony, which just brings it back to singing. So we basically have gotten <laughs> down to belief routine and singing. Yeah, there you go. Which is pretty good yeah, in the world that's of what's important. That's, that, that's pretty great. I mean,
0: that's a, that's not where I thought we were going to be. You no, know, when but, uh, when you asked me that the other day, and I'm like, okay, well... Yeah, I like so it that's, better that's...
1: Than, than sleep and a tidy house because otherwise I'm really failing on the things that are important. But if it's <laughs> if it's belief, routine, and and singing, I just have one to work on. That's right. Right. Oh, good. <laughs> Done. Mason, I have to tell you, um, was I'm hearing you just talk about this topic, and you just brought up routine, but then going into the story of the POW camp and all that, it's amazing the way your brain works it's it's why i get so excited about anytime i have a conversation with you because these are not these are thoughts and conversations that excite me but my brain will not hold on to the information well enough to be able to have the counterpart intellectual conversation does that make sense so when you say them i think oh yeah i love this it's like for me it's like hearing bluegrass i love bl- the way bluegrass makes me feel i can't make my body produce bluegrass right but i just I love it so much. So it's just. Well, that's what's fun about this, right?
0: You know, I didn't know where we were going to go with it. I mean, I wrote down some notes, but.
1: It's great. Uh, I I didn't
0: think we were going to be talking about Epictetus and Jim Stockdale.
1: So do you know, you know, Wells, you know, Wells Hanley. Of course you do. I mean, he's, he's going to help us do our intro music to this podcast. (laughs) Um, And you went to school with him for a period of time. And so did I. He's, he's an amazing human being. Because he um, I mean he exi- he is music. He is right. the, he is the human embodiment of music, which is to say that he lives his life with his soul outside of his body. He is the most open and unassuming, gentle human being I, I think I've met. and he, the things that he produces carry me away. I mean, he just, his, the way he sees the world and then what he produces because he saw the world that way is just nothing short of inspiring. And um, he and I have done a couple projects together where he just, he, he just puts music to the background. And this is one of his superpowers. I, I'm not trying to bring it back to music for a second, but it just popped in my head, which is he can listen to a conversation if he were here right now. And he could play the conversation on his piano. Does so, that even does it...
0: So so let me see if I understand. So he would listen to the conversation and then the words then in his brain get transformed into notes.
1: And maybe the words, the energy gets right. then transformed into music because music is a great connector right, of right. emotion. It, it's mind-blowing what he can do. What
0: an amazing way of a brain thinking. That's I'm fascinated by what you just said. He, I don't I don't I can't do it. So I'm um
1: So he he does say it's a, you know, he says, like, look, this is just my superpower. I've always been able to do this right. ever since I was little. I can I can take the energy that's in a room and 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 copy it with music so that it flows. We actually had him come to a um a conference out in San Francisco I mean in California. Where were we? Southern California. It's a conference called Matter where Apropos, oh, yeah. we just talk about the things that matter. Right. I think I told you about right, it. Right, right. This guy, Je- uh, um, Greg Fusen, puts it on. And we, didn't we, didn't I meet him? You did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we right, did right. meet him. Yep.
1: So w- one we, time. Had, we had Wells come out. Oh, and neat. Wells just listened to what was happening, listened to the stories that were being told. And it was it's just one big conversation where the audience is what's happening at the conference. It's really awesome. Mm, yeah. And he would periodically through the day just sit down at the piano and play. What he was, the energy that he was getting—it was wow. really, really crazy. Just empathetic. and
0: just completely improving completely improvised, new, new, never been played before. Just taking the energy and then it goes in his brain and comes out on the piano.
1: It's amazing. Wow! And he's somebody. Gotta hear that? You got to hear it. He's somebody just to bring it back to all these things that he does have a routine. Um, mm. he, he's made, built a routine to harness his creative energy. Right. And, and Again, not to tie it so nicely up in a bow, but his he to me he is again the embodiment of belief, like because he's so closely tied to the emotion of the world. Does that make sense? He just is so closely tied to all these things we sort of philosophically talked about. He he vibrates it Um, anyway. I just popped into my head because I guess what's important here is Wells Hanley. (laughs) Wells, Wells, you you win. (laughs) You win. (laughs) you're the answer well thanks this was really exciting fun conversation. as always all right
0: see you next time if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe
1: and share with any of your friends you think might enjoy being a part of this conversation
0: we'd also love to hear your thoughts and stories so visit us at www.igotoneforyou.com or email us directly at I got one for you dot podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.